Listen to the stories of Tinseltown. We got that song, and yes we do. So come on, days, and come on, mugs, and all you others too. Listen to the stories of Tinseltown. They're not only good, they're true. True stories of Tinseltown. Everybody and welcome to another True Stories of Tinseltown. And I have a really, really great guest for us today. He is award-winning woot woot author Anthony J. Moore. And he's here to talk about his book, Every Other Weekend, Coming of Age with Two Different Dads. Hello, Tony. Hello, how are you, Grace? It's delightful to be here. Thank you. <laughs> it's delightful to have you here. Really is. And I've told you before, I really enjoyed your book and it did win awards. Congrats. How many? You won three or four, right? It's more than that now. It's probably up to about seven. Go, baby. <laughs> Good for you. That's so exciting. The hits just keep on coming. That's so nice. Oh, you deserve it. You really do. And it's a really, really good book. It's timely and many, you know, for us, for old Hollywood people, his dad was Gerald Moore, Moore. And um, he was a star. He really was, Tony. I'm looking at all the stuff he did. He did a lot of stuff. He definitely did. He really did. Um, you know, it, especially at the very beginning, he was such a star on radio and, and then on TV. He had loads and loads of feature roles. He wanted a series that only happened once and only for one year, and frankly, it was a career mistake at the time, but the number of feature roles he had on the TV and then in several movies, quite impressive. Yeah, he did really well, and this is about you having the two dads, obviously, so we're going to go and start with you being a kid with mom and dad in Beverly Hills. Did you guys live in Beverly Hills? Well, it started in Sherman Oaks, but after my mom remarried, yes, it was Beverly Hills. But you guys were Sherman Oaks people. You had your life. Your mom and dad were together, and things seemed to be okay for what you knew, correct? You know, that's a very good question. Yes, from what I knew, things seemed to be fine. But looking back on it, I used to like to draw cartoons. I'm a terrible artist. But <laughs> I wanted to sort of tell stories and cartoons, and actually... a friend of mine down the street, a neighbor uh, by the name of Peggy, was a superb artist. And so she illustrated a number of these as I gave her the storylines. But when I drew the the cartoons, the when the adults spoke to each other, flames came out of their mouths. Which doesn't sound good. It's not like a rose petals or something. So I think that's pretty exactly. telling. Yeah. Yeah. There was an un underneath everything, there was clearly a lot of tension. And I was picking up on it, although I didn't know it at the time. Well, you but, were... you know, in cartoons, there were kids talking to each other, and that was fine. But when the adults, the man and the woman, talked to each other, fire emerged. So clearly, all was not well. It could have been cigarettes as well. <laughs> they smoked a oh, lot. My father, yes, <laughs> constantly. No, but I mean, that says something. And you were, honestly, from what I got in your book, you're a pretty sensitive kid. You were very sensitive. So I'm sure... You felt that as a kid, but you loved your dad. You loved him. Oh, I definitely did. I definitely did, despite the uh, cigarettes and all of that. By the way, he also drank tons of coffee, which 
was good because that knocked out the smell. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now they don't smoke in the house, but I can only imagine. And your dad, this is something I've got to ask you while I remember it. You say your dad wore this jumpsuit that all these actors wore. Right. What was it? I'm like, you've got to send me a picture of this jumpsuit because what I, I think of astronauts or you know something like that. I can't imagine. This. You're getting close. You're getting close. Uh, it's basically a single piece of clothing, <laughs> and you uh, kind of have to jump your into it with your legs, and then you pull up, uh, pull it up, and put your arms through the sleeves and zip it up from the front or the side or somewhere, and presto, you're in your jumpsuit. And that was like his favorite cashewear. <laughs> Always. That's so funny. Now I know, but it's, I'll have to look it up. And you, your dad was pretty open with you about things you asked him about. Did you ask him about sex or did he say, do you know anything about sex, about the seed and all that junk? Well, I, I had the first thing I remember was asking him where babies come from. <laughs> that was on that trip out to uh, yeah. the jungle, land, <laughs> which isn't there anymore. But I remember that. And of course, it, it, it unfolded the way I wrote it in the book. But you know, as we as we matured and uh, <laughs> after the divorce, we would be together. You know, I'm not sure who raised the subject. I was too shy to say, "Gee, there's this girl in my class, and I like her." But somehow the conversation moved in that direction, and my father was very open, very candid. Maybe a little too advanced for me. Uh, well, <laughs> I I, I mean, he was teaching calculus to somebody who didn't know the multiplication table. Right. And it was pretty graphic. I mean, it's like, Dad, TMI. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> TMI. But it was. Uh, I just, yeah, in many ways, it was it was graphic and probably too much too soon. But he certainly educated me in that area. Boy, oh, boy. Me too. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Gerald, man. Whoa. And so this was the 50s and 60s. You're going along. You're living with your dad. You you think everything's fine. But later on, we see with the smoke coming out of their flames that you didn't. And do you know your dad is an actor? Like really get, you know, get the gist of it? Say that one more time, that he's an actor. Yeah. Did you know at that time that he was an actor and did it mean anything to you in that way? You know what I mean? Where some dads were, you know, accountants. Oh, sure. I knew this. what he did. I knew he was an actor and I understood that he acted. And that was clear right from the start. And you did. He got you on something. What was it, kids? You little geniuses. And they asked you what you wanted to be when you grow up. I never said I wanted to be an actor. No, I mean, you wanted to... Was I wanted to be a gardener. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You were on that kids thing, the yeah. kids show, and they asked I you. I <laughs> and your father screamed out, no, because he knew what he had told you. He knew where I was going, exactly. <laughs> and you were neato when you went to school the next day, which was neato. And so your dad's there. He gets a thing. He could uh, He could have done Maverick, right? He did do Maverick. He oh, he did. Dark Holiday on Maverick. The the big mistake in his career, the big goof, was he turned down the lead in Wyatt Earp uh, yeah. so that he could work over in Europe with this dying television series. That was the the goof. He wanted to be in Europe with the International Man of Mystery, you know, <laughs> with his jumpsuit, <laughs> eating Cold War spies and all that sort of stuff. And you guys went. Your mother and you went to Sweden. My mother and I and my father's mother. Oh, yeah. She lived with you guys, right? Oh, she always lived with us, <laughs> even after the divorce, for God's sake. Move, she Grandma. still lived in the house. Isn't that a little odd? Yeah, big time. 
big time. Team yeah. team daddy, all right? That's what moms can't yeah, help I, but be. I, but obviously, you know, Grace, I didn't know what was going on. You know, I'm, I'm what, <laughs> nine years old. And, you know, I'm not thinking in terms of the optics, you know, that here's my mother living with the mother of the man who left her for another woman. Your mom was a saint, I tell you. Oh, yeah. So so you guys are in Sweden. You get to be an extra on the show. Hoo, hoo, hoo. Right. Pretty cool. You were ready for your close-up. And you, did you go to school there? I don't remember that. I did. I went to a Swedish school. Did you know the language? They spoke English, I'm sure. No, I didn't know Swedish at all. No. <laughs> Did you like it? It's Ed Bord Sven. Yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. But did you did you like it? Because that's culture shock deluxe. It is. You know, it, it's looking back on it, it was certainly a, a broadening experience, but it was a difficult one. And I guess at the end of the day, there I, I did have a lot of trouble with it because I really had no desire to go to Europe until after law school. I just, I, I mean, you know, high, my high school had an opportunity, kids had an opportunity to spend a summer in France or in Spain, depending on what language you were, te- you were taking. And my French teacher wanted me to go to, to France with, with the group because I was doing well in the class. And I really wasn't that interested, but I went home and I told my parents and they were very quick to say no. You know, we're not going to send you to Europe. You're too young to do it. You won't appreciate it. You know, wait till you get to college and we'll send you over there. And I didn't fight it. You know, you would think a kid like that would throw a tantrum because all my friends were going. And, you know, golly was I want to be in Europe with all my friends for a supper. But I said, that's fine. You know, no problem. And, you know, that, that tells you something. And then when I got to college, yes, I could spend a year abroad or a semester abroad. I never asked. I never wanted to. Well, um, I did go away one summer, but I went to South America instead. And I really, and even in law school, I had no intention of going over to Europe again until after graduation, when I read a book by James Mishner called The Drifters, which was a really neat book at the time. And it it, it kind of fired up my enthusiasm or we reawakened my desire to go back to Europe. And so after passing the bar, I did go to Europe. Do you think it has something, we're going to get into this part, that you met, is it May or my Brett? My Brett. My Brett. That's what I always said, but somebody said it's May. <laughs> my Brett. And she was what? She was like a script person on your father's they show? Her, they called her the script girl at the time. I think now you would call her the script supervisor. I, I guess basically reminding people of their lines. Yeah. If, if they were talking and they kind of hesitated, they couldn't remember the next sentence, she would be sitting there on the set and she would cue them. And she came to your house as, you know, someone who worked with your dad and you yep. met her. Yep. How was your mom? Did she, do you, did you catch anything of a vibe that mom got it? You know, I was too dense to pick up any vibes. And I, I, again, what am I thinking that my father's having an affair with her? Absolutely not. This was somebody who's coming to the house. I will tell you that I was not that fond of her. This was prior to them breaking up. This was just meeting her. You didn't like her. This meeting her and she, she came over frequently during Mm -hmm. that year and we went to her apartment as well. But I just, there was something about her. I, I didn't really warm to her. And she had two little kids, one four years younger, one six years younger. So at the time, they were you know, 
there was no relationship at all. But I just, I remember thinking when we left Sweden to take our little tour around Western Europe, okay, I, you know, this is good. I'm not going to see Maya anymore. Yeah, and you yeah. weren't sad about it. I wasn't sad about it at all. I was happy about it. But at that time, you had no idea that your father was having the affair. Not a clue. And she, you know, to... a, I didn't know. Grace, I didn't know that they were involved romantically until the day he married her. Jeez. But, you know, you know what disgusts me about that? And I'm not judging anyone, but I'm kind of judging this. <laughs> because I think it's, you know, you're going to have an affair with a guy. And I blame the man. You know, he's married to your mother. But, you know what? Going to the house, hanging out with the wife and the kid, and that skeeves me. You know, just, I'm sorry, May Brett. Yeah. My Brit. <laughs> I'm going to call you May. But Whoever. Yeah, yeah. It was it was sad. I mean, and of course, as you know, the, their marriage was not good at all. They really fought a lot. And that was out in the open. I heard them many times, you know, getting angry with each other. And your mom, it must not have been easy for your mother being in Sweden. That must have been horrible for her in more I ways imagine, than one. Oh, I, I imagine so. She seemed to be OK with it. You know, it's a, it's a new country. You're in Europe. You can look around. You're going to be treated well because you know your husband is a is an actor and you know with the lead in a series. So I'm sure there were you know a lot of advantages and that kept her going. But I'm also sure she missed home. And I'm sure you know I you didn't like her the my and I'm sure your mother got the vibe. I you know what I mean. I don't know how she couldn't have. You were a kid, of course. She's not going to talk to you about it. But ew, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I would, <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if she did. I remember one time, and I think I wrote about this in passing, there was one time when he didn't come home until much, much later, if not that late that night, the next morning. But I know that my mother was very nervous because he just hadn't come home and she hadn't heard from him. My grandmother was there and she's nervous. And you know, I, 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 I'm sure now, looking back, my mother suspected something, but she, you know, but she told me at one point that she was kind of naive and really didn't think that the two of them were together. Even back in L.A., she needed proof that they were sleeping together. And so, like at five in the morning or something, she got in the car, I think with her mother, who was out visiting, and they drove over to my apartment and they saw my father's car parked outside. Yikes. That's sad. I just, I find that, you know, if you can have an affair, this is for anybody out there. Don't go to their house with their wife and their kid. Please. That's terrible. Anyway, I'm judging. I'm yeah, judging. Get a room. <laughs> really? Get a room. <laughs> Not nice. And um, so you guys get home. You're there. How long did you live there? A year? And then it didn't get picked up. Yeah, just about a year. The series ran after that for one year, and then that was the end of it. It was gone. And so you went home. Did, he didn't have a job going home, right? But he was just, as an actor, going home. How soon after you guys get home did he, did you find out that they were going to get a divorce? Well, we got home in 55, and I believe in 56, if I remember it right, and I wrote it in the book, and I have, I have the court papers, so I was able to pinpoint what, where, and when. But just talking from memory, I believe it was 56 when they actually separated. It was actually around uh, uh, Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement, that he moved out. And I think that was September 56. So I wonder if he was seeing they kept in contact because he didn't see her yet. He he hadn't been seeing her for a year, I wouldn't imagine. But I, mean, I imagine they must have. I mean, obviously, 
there were, you didn't have emails and you didn't have, and phone calls cost a fortune, but somehow or other they kept in contact. And, you know, good question. I haven't thought about it until just now, Grace, as we're talking. If they're mailing letters back and forth, you know, who's picking up the mail? My mother? Uh, I don't know. I can't imagine. Wouldn't that be really creepy? Well, we wouldn't put it past my, would we? Shame on you, my. Anyway, (laughs) so you guys are home. Your parents sit you down, right? Yep. Telling you. And and it's pretty, I can't even fathom that because my parents never divorced. My dad died early, but I never had that kind of thing. So tell us all, you're sitting there. Boom. I'm sitting there and I had a slight cold. You know, again, this is in one of the chapters. And they asked her to come downstairs into the living room. And they started talking about uh, there are times when people don't want to live together anymore, even if they're married. And, you know, so sometimes people are going to live apart. And we've decided to do this. And this doesn't mean anything to you. You know, I'm still your father. I'm still your mother. We always love you. We always will. But, you know, your daddy will not be living in the house anymore. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? What's going on here? It didn't really sink in. And it didn't really sink in until one, two, or three days later when suddenly there's no father in the house. He's not there at dinner. He's not there at breakfast. The meals are very silent. My mother seems really upset. That's when it began to sink in, that something had really changed in a fundamental way and in a very bad way. That's And you so loved your dad. And so he moves into a bachelor pad? I assume. You don't remember visiting them in there. I I think he got an apartment somewhere in in Hollywood Boulevard. Mm -hmm. I was never there. You know, we we spent every other weekend together, but usually during the day. I wasn't sleeping over then. And so wherever he was living, I don't know. My guess is with my, Hmm. but I just don't. And her two little boys. I am. Well, maybe not. Her, Her little boys probably stayed with their father in Sweden. The divorce between my and her first husband was very friendly. In fact, my father and my's first husband became very friendly. Dee, and I met Deed. He was a nice guy. He was an artist and just a lovely guy. And I know that his two kids, Tommy and Timmy, really loved him. Timmy wrote a song once called The Artist and the Man. He played it for me a number of years ago when we visited. It was a, It's a superb song. And Deed was a neat guy. And my guess is, at that point, they were with Deet. They he, came to the they came to the U.S. later for school, but at that point, I don't think they were there. And you're seeing your dad every other weekend. Mom is distraught. When did you guys go to? She gets the house pretty much. He gets everything else. And divorce wasn't really prevalent then, even in the entertainment business. It really wasn't. A, right. So, yeah. you guys, when did you guys get to New York? You guys have to get out of the house. You uh, scram to New York. February of 58. Oh, so you were in California for a bit. You go. Yeah. That's where your mother right. was from, right? Yeah, she came from New York. And at the time, her mother still lived there along with her brother and sister. So yeah. She wanted to go back and be with them. Upper East Side. Was a bit of a kerfuffle. I didn't know that the time I, when I finally found the files, I realized there had been a kerfuffle with my father because, of course, you know, she's moving me out of state. And so I'm not going to see my father for a long time. And there was a bit of a back and forth about it, but it was worked out between the lawyers. So did you ever, how did they interact with each other when he would come to get you? Or did he just stay in the car or? Yes, yeah, stay in the car. Yeah. Stay in the car. 
somebody. I just walk out with my little duffel bag, yeah. jump in the car, and off we go. CMA. So you guys are in New York, and that is Culture Shock Deluxe. You're on the Upper East Side. You see, like, bar fights. <laughs> 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 Welcome to New York City. There you go. And your mom, all of a sudden, meets this guy. Yeah. Named yeah. Stan. It was a setup. It was a setup. They, they had a mutual friend, Mel Shavelson. Mel was the been the writer. He wrote for Bob Hope, among other people. He ultimately became the president of the Writers Guild of America West. And he had gone to high school with Stan, my stepfather. And Mel said to Stan, you know, gosh, you know, I should have before, I should have introduced you to this Rita more that I know, but she just moved back to New York. But if you're ever there, you really ought to call her. Well, Stan had to go to New York one time on business. Uh, he actually got stuck in New York. He was supposed to go on to Europe, but it didn't happen. And so he's got a free weekend in New York. He calls my mom. They get together. I'm there on the first date, and it was on the Staten Island Ferry. And the rest is history. He started uh, inventing reasons to come to New York often. And that was, they, they met in April, and by December, they were married. What did you think of Stan when you first met him? Oh, I wanted, I, I liked him and I wanted them to get married. I, I wanted my mother to get married anyway. I mean, I was absolutely insistent that she get married because I knew she was unhappy alone. As far as I'm concerned, she could have, she could have married King Kong and I would have been happy. <laughs> well, he is cute. Come she on. could have married the wolf. <laughs> I, I love his clothes. Fur, handsome. So, you know, here comes Stan and he's a nice guy. So. Yeah, I, I wanted them to get together, and indeed they did. And so you liked him. He was a nice guy. He was Mr. Sailor. He loved to sail. Yeah, well, I got seasick. <laughs> I wasn't that happy about sailing. <laughs> and Stan had it. He, what, he had like a really, it was kind of like a yacht kind of boat. It was huge. Stan always had boats. He had, he had had a very large schooner long before you know I came out on the scene called the Constellation, like 76 feet long, which... You know, even today might qualify as a super yacht. That's pretty big. That is huge. It's just on the level. I mean, given today's culture, a 76-foot schooner is just on the bottom edge of being called a super yacht. I would just think it would the be. Just on the bottom edge. Because these, the, the, there are these mega yachts and giga yachts that go up to like 300 feet. That's a lot of yacht. It is a lot of yacht. And you have to, and by the way, they're terrible for the environment because they just belch out diesel fumes all over the ocean. Yeah. Well, you know, this is. was a sale. So it was very, it was very sustainable. He was a good citizen. What a guy. Yeah. (laughs) So they get married and you, they're not married yet, right? When you go back to California, you're like, get me out of here. Yay. So they, they, we, they, they have a test period. Stan had been renting a, a house down in Newport Beach. And so during the summer, he said, well, let's test this out. Come on out. And he put my mom up at a little motel down the street. And so I've lived in the house where they did on West Bay Avenue. And his two kids are there. And, you know, we bonded and we we're playing around, having a good time. And of course, late at night, unknown to us, Stan would slip down the street and be with my mother, but always back in time for breakfast. And so that was for two weeks. Then back to New York, we go for September. But, you know, at that point, obviously, the future is written and they're going to get married. And back you go to Bever- this time to Beverly Hills. Right. right. <laughs> they, w- they wanted a good school system. And so they picked Beverly Hills, which at the time was the best of the best. 
So you guys go there. You meet Stan has two children that from his right. first marriage. Exactly. And from day one, Skip, who is uh, five years older than I, and still is five years older than I, last time I looked, <laughs> Skip moved out. He said, that's it. I'm not living with my mother anymore. I can't blame him. She was a bit of an alcoholic. And he said, that's it. And he packed up his stuff, came over the hill from from Sherman Oaks, actually, or Van Nuys, and moved in. So it, I immediately had a an older brother, which I had always wanted. So that made me happy. He seemed like he was a total California boy. <laughs> he was, he was, you know, the act California kid. He really was. He was absolutely the paragon of, you know, what you think about when you think of California in the late 50s, early 60s. You know, he kind of had a James Dean look many times. He raced boats, raced sailboats, and he did very well. He had a good old souped up hot rod, old 46 Ford with an Oldsmobile engine. He drag raced all over the place. He was very popular with the girls. His main girlfriend uh, was the sister of a big movie star. Troy Donahue's sister. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Eve was, Eve was a vision and Skip was everything in that sense. He was my invincible older brother and he was everything that I wasn't. He was terrible in school. He got bad grades. He almost failed French. I think he did fail French. But, you know, here I am doing very well in school, but, you know, not getting dates, <laughs> not driving around in hot rods, getting seasick. <laughs> You're adorable. You're so hard on yourself. You make me laugh, though. The book is so good, you guys. You got to read it. Tony has so many great stories, and he's so funny. You're going to laugh out loud in a lot of these. So you're there. He has a daughter, Leslie, right? Is that her name? She's, yeah, Leslie. She lives with mom. How did mom get along with the stepkids? Very well. Extremely well. A lot better than I got along with my stepmother. My, yeah. My mom was really fabulous with them. Leslie used to call her uh, in a joking way. She'd go, hi, wicked old stepmother. You know, like that. <laughs> No, no they, they 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 loved her dearly, and of course, but don't forget also, you know, Leslie's real mother was a problem, and my and Leslie wanted to move in with us from the start, and the Stan said, "No, you're too young; you should stay with your mother." But Leslie came over, you know, every other weekend, the same protocol that I followed with my father. But once we got into high school, and Leslie could drive, then she she came over. She came over for summers, and that senior year, she was there full time. She just wanted to get away from from alcoholic Martha. Yeah, poor lady. That's, you know, that's horrible for kids. I can't even imagine. Divorce is bad enough, but then having a mother who was an alcoholic, that's a double ouch. So you get along good with the kids. Stan is the, he's sort of like the anti-Gerald. <laughs> They're two very different. Although your dad loved you a lot as far as fathers goes, and Stan loved his kids and loved you. But I mean, your dad was Hollywood. Stan was business. That is absolutely true. But what's really ironic was that Stan had a number of Hollywood friends who were you know, soaring successes, like Mel Shavelson. Mm-hmm. And Stan had nothing to do with Hollywood. But he's got Mel Shavelson as a close friend. He has Harold uh, Kress as a close friend. Harold Kress won two Oscars for Best Film Editing. He was very close with Sumner Long. Sumner wrote a hit Broadway play called Never Too Late. And he'd been a screenwriter on the Lassie series you know, with the 
Lassie the dog. So my father's friends were you know, kind of struggling actors, not well known or whatever. But again, before before the divorce, my dad has some very close Hollywood friends, including Jeff Chandler, who unfortunately I loved tonight. him. Did you ever meet him? I met Jeff and his wife Marge and the two daughters, who really you know, I didn't get along with the two daughters. Not that we were enemies, but they were girls. I was a boy and were little kids. So, you know, we're not going to connect that that well. But Jeff was a lovely guy. Marge was a statuesque lady who was very, very close with my mother. And my dad and Jeff were inseparable buddies. Yeah, I didn't. But what a cutie. Divorce, yeah. yeah, Grace, after the divorce, my father's friends were, you know, the struggling actors. And Stan, even though he's the anti-Hollywood, is running around with Oscar winners and, you know, huge, hugely successful people. And he... An irony. And he, you guys and lived one in more irony. I'll, one more irony I'll give you, and that is, my dad really didn't care very much for photography. He had a little Argus seventy-five camera, and he barely used it, including in Europe. He has very few pictures, which of, of the trip, which I now have, but they're not that good. Stan, on the other hand, couldn't go through a day without snapping pictures, and he was a pro. He was absolutely at professional level in photography. Can you imagine he today? Go figure. Well, he'd have he'd have his phone. He'd be snap, snap, snapping every second. Selfies too. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So, and also he's in. You're in a beautiful house in Beverly Hills, and your dad is living in an apartment now. You didn't go to the wedding, right? With my. No, uh, I was in New York when they got married, and I didn't know about the wedding until my fa- until my mother sat me down me. in July. After <laughs> said, "I have something to tell you." <laughs> How was That's that? I learned. How was that to you? When she, how was that? I mean, it's bad enough that they divorced, but then when you know the person and how did you must have been kind of like, Ugh. yeah, I, I, I was devastated. And so you go when you have your dad now, it's still every other weekend. Yeah. And do you spend time in their apartment, which what I was trying to get at is too. It was not, you know, some shishi boom, boom apartment building or anything like that. It started with a small house in Hollywood, a very modest house, which which they rented. Then they moved to a house near Universal City, which was actually a lovely house. It was on Blair Road. It overlooked the Universal lot, which at the time was just a you know vacant land. It was a, a really interesting house, which I always liked. Then they moved to another house, which had a very commanding view of the city. Uh, but see, all of these were rentals, and all of them were maybe for one year. Then to a much smaller house in Beverly Hills, and then into an apartment. So it, 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 money was a problem. Money was a problem for my father. And they were always sort of bouncing around trying to find a place that was affordable to live. And each one was a little less than the other. And that must have been weird for you for going from one to the other. Also, your dad was living with those two boys. How did you feel about that? Yeah. Well, Tommy and Timmy got along. I mean, again, there were little times of spats, you know, that siblings are going to hate us. But we got along and we are still in touch and we're still friends. And, you know, in fact, Timmy lives in Hawaii. And when Beverly and I were over there the last time, we spent a couple of days with them. And had a great time. And Tommy has visited out here. He now lives in Texas. At the time when they lived there, I'm sure I had a touch of jealousy, but it wasn't overpowering. 
And my father was sensitive to that. I remember, for example, that he made a remark about being in the Christmas parade, the annual Christmas parade. And he said that Tommy and Timmy had ridden the car with him. And that kind of struck me. I was jealous. And I said, well, gosh, I'd like to do that. Well, my father said, absolutely. And the following year, I rode in the parade with him, along with Tommy and Timmy. And the year after that, I rode in the parade with him. There are very good stories in there, a very touching one towards the end. The last, the second time you were in the car with him where they didn't really know how to introduce your dad. Right, right, because he hadn't been working. And But how was that for you? I used to watch as a kid that parade, the Hollywood parade. Parade was thrilling. You know, the parade was thrilling. Here I am in the car and, you know, looking at all the people lining the, the streets on both sides and everybody's happy. And, you know, there's this large garage where they had the parade, the party. And I'm meeting all these stars, including Soupy Sales, who was an idol back then for all the teenagers. And, you know, Shelley Fabry was there and she was gorgeous. I had a crush on her. Evelyn Rudy was there. I had a crush on her, you know, and, and so on and so on. But when Bill Welch came and, you know, and, and it was time to be interviewed toward the end of the parade and he comes up and he said, oh, you know, Gerald Morey's done some very fine work. <laughs> to me that there was a real problem, that my father had been slipping, that Welsh didn't quite know how to be, what to say or how to say it in a gentle manner. It was, and he, he was gentle, but it was, that was a little hurtful. Did you see your dad's face? I'm sure it was like, ouch, a little bit for him. That's weird. And my would be with you guys. And so Stan, during the summer didn't Stan, or weekend, Stan would bring you to his business and then you would go to your dad's sort of like uh, the stage. What do you call those things? Sound stages. Yeah. You would go there and then you went to Stan's, which was a business, which you just adored. I'm kidding. <laughs> just like you get seasick on boats. You loved it. I'm sorry. I'm missing what you just said. It was, there was a sound glitch. Would oh. you say it again? Yeah. I said, so you would sometimes go to the soundstage with your dad, and then you would go, Stan wanted you to go and like earn some money kind of deal at or his place. Off. Yeah. Correct. And you loved it. Well, I didn't love Stan's office. No, I know. I'm kidding about that one. I don't blame you. Yeah. I mean, business did not attract me at all. Although as a little child, I mean, you know, there, I would play office sometimes. We're talking age five or whatever. You know, I didn't know what an office was. But Stan's office was boring. You know, my father's sound stages and the industry was, of course, much more glamorous and interesting. But I never really wanted to be an actor. I knew I couldn't act. Uh, I tried, <laughs> and uh, this just wasn't my thing. And you didn't have a burning desire. So what would be the point? Because I'll tell you, being able to act ain't always you know, important in Hollywood sometimes, you know, sometimes you just have to be. So you're there. Your How do you get along with Mai when you're there? Is she nice to you anymore like she was when she would visit your mom in Sweden or was she more? Mai was mercurial. There were times when she was very nice to me, but there were other times she would really get nasty, get upset. I remember one time my father and I were talking about population control. One of us had read something by Margaret Sanger, and there was a big concern about overpopulation, which is ironic. Back then, there were two billion people in the world. Now, there are eight. But Mai was very against population control, and she really got angry with the two of us. She kept saying, you're insensitive and all of this. 
And I was bratty. I the more she got angry and said we were insensitive, the more insensitive I got in the de, in the debate. And finally, she just got up for the table and stormed away. There were times <laughs> when I would watch her get angry at my father for no reason, as far as I'm concerned. I'm confused, but well, she seemed like she nagged him a lot. We don't have any money. We don't have this. We don't have that. Which you know, if you're hurting for dough, but she seemed like she was not yeah that, not that supportive that not. sometimes. Yeah, that was not fun. That was not fun. And, you know, especially at the time she said, don't you know that we're poor? Oh, that really that, got me yeah. in that one. You know, her just, you know, come on, lady. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, I, was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there wondering well, what's going on. You know, is this the woman who married the actor thinking that she's marrying the big star and now she's upset because there really is not as much money as she thought there would be? Probably. Don't you think that's probably it? Yeah, but, you I, know, you I, shouldn't I, say I, that. I, I, speculation on my part, but it wouldn't surprise me. No, and you know, whatever. I'm not around anymore to ask. Right. And in front of you to boot, and just, I feel badly for you, Dad, for that respect. And you're living with Stan. How was that as you were going through your adolescence, teenage years? How did you and uh, Stan, you know, kind of, how did you guys do together? Generally, okay. It got better and better as we, as we got older. Stan was more of the disciplinarian. He wanted his kids to work. There were many times he said, you know, you have to come down and work today at the plant when maybe I just wanted to go play with my friends or just sit around and, you know, read or do something else. There were times when he, you know, would really get angry about what I thought were little things, and which I wrote about in the book. That was a huge blow up because you had seen Stan blow up with your stepbrother. And then yeah. when it came to you one night, you know, I don't... That was pretty heavy duty, and but he had never done that before, even close, right? No, it was it was it came as a shock. It really did. It came out of the blue, and and, and frankly, Stan didn't remember it. Uh, many, many, many years later, we were reminiscing, and we came to that point, and he just remembered it in a very different way. They and do. I decided, and I'm not going to correct it. You know, I'm just saying, okay. Stands, you know, at this point, he's like 90 years old. Yeah, you know. They, not going to go there. Just, you know, let it be. It softens. Like my mom always said, I was never unhappy. I was always happy. I'm like, really? You know what I mean? They want to think that way. You were always happy. Okay. That's wonderful. Yeah. You know, but you can't blame him for wanting to think a certain way at that point. But he he kind of goes after you because you left a couple plate, plates in the sink. And right. you you tell your dad the next day, which I don't blame you. And your dad was sort of like, meh. Right. My father was, well, it was the first time my father saw an opening to kind of criticizing Stan. You know, he said, look, he's a strict disciplinarian. You know, he's much more rigid than I am. He's much less fun loving. And he, I, I, he, he never came out and just said, oh, Stan's a jerk. But he was kind of orbiting that adjective, if you will, or that, that descriptor, not adjective. He was orbiting that descriptor, you know, Stan's a jerk, or yeah. Stan's just going to be nasty. Yeah, and did you ever hear Stan badmouth your dad, and that was the only time your dad came even close to kind of saying Stan's a jerk? The one time I heard Stan badmouth my father was when I was very upset that Sunday night after after Miriam had interrupted what we were supposed to have as a just quality time, and I was trying to do my homework. I was having trouble. I was getting very upset. I told my mother what was going on. She knew exactly what had happened. 
and Stan came in and, and, you know, kind of in a whisper, he said, your father should never have done that. And that's not even bad mouthing. He never should have. And this is an experience. So your dad all of a sudden disappears. Mai doesn't know where he is. You guys have no idea where he is. And he disappears for a few days. Yeah. He had a habit of doing that. But I, this one, I distinctly remember. It was around the time that he was starting to see uh, Miriam. Miriam. But yeah. He, uh, things were wrong, I think, with Mai. And he just took off. And so you meet Miriam. You're, you and your dad are out for breakfast. And you describe it as she heaves her ample bosoms upon the table. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to. You know, Grace. Grace. The other night, I was at a a, a banquet with with my judge pals, and they had read the book. And one came up to me and said, "I love what you say about her breath." <laughs> he just, I laughed so hard. <laughs> it's a riot. I laughed. Well, you guys have to read the line, but it's so funny. I can't. I just remember you talking about her big boobs on the. On the, on the like just sitting there, and God, that must have been so weird to meet her. And and to, it was very weird to meet her. But I'll tell you something which is not in the book, and that is, although the the story with Miriam initially was an essay that a literary magazine published, and I said it in the essay, but I took it out for the book because it didn't work with the timing. And that is, years later, I mean, like 2014, I'm at my gym. And there's this woman there, and we become friendly. We don't date, but we're just friends. And one night, we decide to just kind of hang out and have dinner. And she looks at me and says, was your father an actor? And I said, yeah. She goes, I think my aunt knew your father. And I said, well, who's your aunt? And of course, it was Miriam. Wow. <laughs> How creepy is that, though? Oh, your, your dream totally girl. Crazy. It was. Totally crazy. And Miriam was a trip because... Well, it was a definite trip. You you got into that. You were in school government. You were like debating team, things like that. And one day you guys go on a break, right? You're you're doing something. You're visiting Washington or something. Oh, I was at SC, the Western Forensics mm -hmm. Institute. And so you get a phone call and it's Miriam. Yeah. Yep. These weirdos. That's weirdo. I tell you. <laughs> She's what telling I you. Tell you take all kinds. The, the sex life she's talking about with your father and all her emotions. I mean, do you blame your dad for dumping her? But, you know, she kept calling you, which was really creepy. But then it leads to the big finale with you taping her, taping Miriam to play to my. Yeah. That, I, that was a woe in the book, because that's like, boy, does he really, he, he and mine, no way. So you're taping Maxine, you have them come into your house, where you're living in Beverly Hills, and you wanted May, May to see how nice it was or whatever. And what, you, you must have expected that that would be the end of their marriage, because I would, hearing Maxine go on and on. But you play it for well, them. Well, it ended, it ended in, in, like I never saw her again. Yeah. You know, I never did. But unknown to me, they continued to see each other until my father died. And the reason I know that was after my friend Jan told me, you know, that she was the niece. Miriam by then had just died. She had died three months earlier. But she had two kids, one of whom I had met. Well, the son called me and he was very nice. And he said, you know, there are some things at the house that we've always wanted to give back to the family. And we got together. We met. And one of them was a portrait of my father. 
And he gave it to me, and I looked at it, and the artist had signed it in 1967. Wow. So they never so split. So it's clear circumstantial evidence that they stayed together. They just went to ground and were more subtle and discreet about it. But you tape her and you you play it in front of in your house that you live with your mom and Stan and you play it back for your dad and for my. Yeah. And they were yeah. just your father was you didn't get the response you thought you would get. Well, you know, my father got angry at Miriam, not at me. Right. But he asked tape. And I always wanted to. I'm sorry I never kept a copy of the tape. I didn't have the machinery to duplicate it because it would have been interesting to still have it today. But he took it and I never got it back. My reacted in a way I didn't expect. I thought she would be screaming and angry. She didn't. She just sort of, you know, sat there kind of holding back tears. Of course, what I did was is illegal as hell. It was a violation (laughs) of the law. And now here you are, Judge. Yeah. Ten days in solitary. Shame on you. But <laughs> that was so fun. That was a woe to me because I don't know if that I I probably could have if I was you, I'm sure, because that's, you know, come on. She was really so inappropriate. And yeah. and it was just something. So your dad is getting his his he's getting some TV work pretty much. Oh, the the movie, the Mars movie. What a story. The angry Rips. Yes. Oh, my goodness. How depressing. Because your father, he did, what was a good one about the end of the world kind of thing? And he played a reporter. Oh, Invasion USA. That was good, actually. I saw it on uh, YouTube. It just came up. You know how they do that. And recommended it was your dad. But I had seen it before. He was really good, good in that. Movie. Yeah, it's very yeah, good. It, 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 yeah, I, I never saw it as a kid. They never took me to see it, which was probably a smart move. But I found it and watched it, you know, many, many years later. And now the Cold War is over. Russia's broken up, and the, you know, and at the time Boris Yeltsin was running the country, so we all we thought we'd all end up, you know, friends. But it was still a little frightening to watch the movie. But it was very good. It was a. It's a really. I highly recommend it, everybody. It's a really good movie. I'll link it to you on YouTube, everyone. So, yeah. but, but he's doing this, and he thought this would be a very successful film. He was excited about it. You know, and I don't know if it was successful or not. No, I he no thought idea. it might be. Oh, he did. Yeah. yeah. Whether it did good business, I don't know. But you guys went to see it, you and your two stepbrothers, and he was telling you about it. And you guys go to sit in a theater, which isn't very full. Oh, this is Angry Red Planet. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And there's like 10 people there. And yep. boom. And your poor dad left, just like stunned. Well, yeah, I mean, it was... You know, the theater was kind of a great D theater. There was a piece of thread that hung across the projector. <laughs> nobody did anything about it. My father told the usher, go do something about it. Yeah, it was just, it was kind of a depressing evening. Oh, my God. How was it for you sitting there watching that movie? Did you like it? <laughs> I liked the movie. You did. But it was, it was you know, the, the situation was depressing. But it you... was clear this not, you know, what my father was hoping for. Yeah, it wasn't going to bring him to superstardom, which is, which is sad. And, and yeah. with Stan and you two, looking back, right, you think he was wonderful. And now he was, he was actually a wonderful person and a wonderful stepdad for you. But at the time, how did you feel? Conflicted. I mean, you know, look, they were both good people trying to do their best, but with lots of faults. You know, riven with faults, both of them. 
I appreciated Stan. You know, in many ways, he rescued me. You know, without Stan marrying my mother, I... Oh, boy. You'd be in New York. stayed in New York. I would not have gone to the schools I went to for college or law school. God knows what I'd be doing right now. I doubt I'd be on the bench. You know, Stan was very, very good, you know, but with plenty of faults. As one person who reviewed the book said, if it weren't for Stan, I never would be a judge. If it weren't for my father, I never would have written the book. That's great. And it's just such a good book. And I liked Stan. And I liked your dad. So your dad, he was in Europe. He was in Sweden when he died. Yeah. Yes. They were trying. He was trying to make another series. He had always tried to get another series after after Foreign Intrigue tanked. And he, he made at least three pilots from the time they came back from Europe until the time he died. And the last pilot was made in Sweden. It was called Private Entrance. And they literally wrapped it. It was in the can. And the next night he died. Of a heart attack? Yeah. He wasn't old, right? He was in his 50s. He was 54. Oh, my God. He was 54. I did write a piece about this. I mean, it's obviously not in the book because the timing was, you know, not part of the memoir. But I did write an essay, which was published in a small literary journal about, you know, private entrance in his last pilot and what happened. And when was the last time you saw your dad? Did he was I know he smoked like a chimney. He was a big smoker. And like you said, he drank all that caffeine. And I'm sure he had a lot of stress on him as well. When was the last time you saw your dad? I'm sorry. One thing I'm holding, I've, I've got a dog. Here. I hear the doggy. It's like crying a little bit. <laughs> yeah. This, well, he has separation anxiety. Uh, and my wife's off getting her hair done. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> and, you know, he's very attached to her and he gets kind of upset. <laughs> so that's, that's what you're hearing. Oh, I love, I love dogs. Are you kidding? Makes me smile. So. But anyway, but it, it, the essay is available. It's, uh, it's called Private Entrance. That's the name of the essay. And it talks about the ending. What's ironic is, the storyline for the pilot had to do with cigarettes and matches. And so my father had to smoke like a oh. chimney as they filmed the, the series. And nobody knew he was ill, though, right? There wasn't any outward sign. There was no sign or anything. No. No, I mean, he had a, a doctor. I knew the doctor. I knew his kids. And if the doctor warned him, I don't know about it. But back then, who knew about cholesterol or anything else? Yeah, and your poor dad. And he drank all that caffeine. That doesn't help your heart either. That's like, ouch. He loved coffee. He probably drank between 10 and 20 cups a day. Yeah, yeah. awful. So he dies there. And he, he have you ever been to his grave? You must have, right? Yes. Yeah, I did go to his grave in 1998, I believe. Yeah, I went to Leading Circuit, which is where he's buried. It's in a little crypt. And that must have been devastating for you, because who would think? It was sad. Yeah, it was sad. That was, you know, it was it was true closure, if you will. Did you ever see Mai again after that? One time. You know, after he died, later that year, at the end of the year, maybe in early January of 69, I was home. She was back at the apartment, and we talked, and she described the last night, which then I put in the book, or in the essay, I think it was. and. Hold on. <laughs> Poor Ben here is just whimpering. Hi, Ben. I'm petting him as we speak. Come on. It's all right. It's okay, boy. We're taking care of you. Anyway, she she described what happened. And then she said, is there anything you want, you know, here at the apartment? And, 
you know, I was just too, I don't know, sad to really pick out anything. I, I got his good conduct medal, his army good conduct medal, and a couple of books, which I knew he liked and which I liked. And that was it. I walked away and said goodbye to Maya and never saw her again. And 10 years later, she was killed in a car accident. Was she married to Sammy Davis Jr. then? Oh, no, no. That's not my Brit from Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, this was a different Mai. This is in a different Mai. She, this is my Dietrich. Oh, wow. My Where did I get my Brit? <laughs> she was from Sweden. The name is common in Sweden. But yeah. no, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. I don't. I could swear that's what I read. I'm. I'm just seeing mine, so I, I must have just put that together. So, others you, have too. I must tell you. Good. I, I don't you feel so horrible. Have said something in the book about that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you? You didn't have her last name in there, so maybe that's why I just assumed. But anyway, it was my. And so you're back with Stan, and he's there and loving with you, and he lives to be ninety years old, which is. 96. Wow, go Stan. Yeah, go Stan. Your mom died years earlier. We were going to lose him a year earlier. I mean, he was literally on his deathbed at the hospital. And Skip and Leslie and I were over there saying goodbye to him. And he rallied. I mean, he literally, he had, a, he had an encore for another year. Go Stan. <laughs> he was something else. He really was. I liked, I liked both your parents. I liked them both very much. And your mom had died years earlier, though. Yeah, she died in 1994 at 78. And so you stayed in touch with Stan. And one thing I found ironic at the end was he was kind of being shystered about a movie himself, right? Wasn't some guy getting money and saying something about Stan being a movie? Well, he was he was being victimized by one grifter after another. Yeah, how horrible. You know, here's, this, here's this hard-bitten businessman. You know, he's not, you know, he's not that generous. He's not being a philanthropist at all. But, you know, in the last 10 years of his life, he wants to be the, the philanthropist of L.A. And, he, you know, he wants to, you know, be known for that. And all these flakes start gathering around and it's clear all they want is money. And I sat him down one time with our accountant and I, and, and I said, Stan, don't you realize who these people are and what they're doing? And he said, well, I, re- I appreciate your concern, but I like them. You know, he was buying friendship. You know, mm. All his friends died off when you when you get, and I didn't realize this, but now I know when you get if you live too long, you lose your friends. They offer you to cease you, and so suddenly you are alone. And who are you going to be friends with? Well, the grifters find you. It's like ants at a picnic; they know where the food is. And these, you know what, mm-hmm. started calling and showing up and flattering the you know what out of them. Yeah. And Stan was a perfect patsy for them. Vulnerable to all that stuff. In the last year, Leslie Skip and I in the last year took over his finances. We got him to agree to it without a, a conservatorship. And I remember there was this one guy named Victor. And he, they met at a party and Victor would show up and he kept saying, I'm a producer. I'm going to put you in a movie. And every time he showed up, he'd help himself to about a hundred or hundred dollars out of petty cash. and. You know, he, he kept saying, oh, I love your father. He's great. Well, the day after Skip Leslie and I took over his finances, I called Victor because I knew he was coming over that night. And I said, I just want you to understand that there's no more petty cash here. You know, we've taken control of all of his finances. And he didn't come and we never saw him again. Wow. Huh. What a sleaze. Yeah. 
Mostly, but Stan lived there a good life. There were many like. It's disgusting, and you're a judge. The one thing about Tony, Tony was a lawyer, and now you, you, well, you're a judge, which is pretty yeah. big stuff. Not only award-winning author, you're a judge. <laughs> so, judge, judge Tony. That's pretty cool, though. You did good for yourself. You did really well. And the book is just, honestly, you know, it is it is a coming of age. It is, uh, I mean, there's so much to get into. So it is such a good read. You'll laugh. It's about step-parenting, kids in divorce, in that time frame, having a dad, having a stepdad. It's it's really good. And you deserve every award you get, Tony. Honestly, you really do. I had to. Re- I read it twice because you were supposed to be out a long time ago, and then I had to reread. I knew much, but I had to skip through certain things, and uh, it didn't bore me. It's funny, and sometimes you miss something the first read. It's a really good book. You should be proud of yourself for that, and you just feel you're you're very blessed. You, you had two really good dudes. You had a wonderful mother, and you're a very lucky kid. I'd say. Well, thank you. I I, I know. I I do feel very lucky. You know, it all worked out well. And despite a lot of the problems that, you know, come along with any divorce, somehow I emerged. You did. And you you write it and we feel with you. You know, I laughed a lot. I I understood a lot of the stuff. So again, please check out Tony's book, Every Other Weekend, Coming of Age with Two Different Dads. And it is a really, really good book. Very descriptive. I mean, I can't really get the interview. Uh, There's so much in there that you're going to love. So many different angles. And Tony, you are a delight times 30. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been a delight talking with you, Grace. It's been lots of fun. (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. And Ben, it's over. (laughs) It's over. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Tony. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.